Good morning. My name is Dan Song. I'm one of the pastors here at Restoration. It's good to be together as we worship our Lord and as we now come to a time where we are instructed by God's Word. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, and we're going to look at verses 8 through 23. Uh, if you're visiting or if you've been here for a while and you missed the last few weeks, uh, we're in the book of Acts, looking at the story of the church. Now, if you recall, oh, I'm going to invite Ellen Liu to come on up here, but I'll just kind of give you a little uh, synopsis of where we're at so far. Last week, if you recall, we were in chapter 11. And in chapter 11, we looked at how there was a shift in where the center or the hub of the church was, right? It was Jerusalem, but now as the gospel goes to Antioch and the church is planted there, Antioch becomes the hub because they become the face for all the Gentile churches to be planted out of Antioch. And so in chapters 12, 13, and now into 14, we see Paul and Barnabas, they become commissioned to become the missionaries out of Antioch to plant more and more and more churches. And this becomes what we know as the missionary journeys of Paul. And there's three missionary journeys of Paul in the book of Acts. And here in chapter 14 that we're going to look at, it is the last part of the first missionary journey that Paul is on. Paul and Barnabas are, are on. Now you might be wondering, wait, when did Paul change his name to Saul or from Saul to Paul? Well, because they're more outward faced and not in Jerusalem, he takes on his Roman name, which is Paul, and not his Jewish name, Saul. And so from here on out, Saul is now referred to as Paul. And so let's give attention to God's word as Ellen Liu comes on up and uh, gives the reading from chapter 14, looking at verses 8 through 23. Thanks be to God. Thanks. Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks for this opportunity to come and hear your word. So Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Speak to us so that we might be transformed in our hearts. And like this beautiful story of the church that we might continue to be bearers of the good news wherever you have called us to, to the people that we're in relationship with. So Lord, we ask that you would encourage and stir our hearts now as we hear from you. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. When you visit a foreign country, there's always bound to be stories of misunderstanding, right? Maybe some of you during this summer trip have been able to go visit other countries. And now there's different reasons for why we experience misunderstanding. It could be language. It could be cultural behaviors. It could be nonverbal gestures or different communication styles that we're not accustomed to. And so when we go to a foreign country, a lot of times there could be a lot of misunderstanding. Well, one of the more famous stories of this was way back in 2009 with the Obamas. Now, this doesn't say anything about my political standings or what I view about the or how I view the Obamas. But if you remember, during a G20 summit in 2009, the Obamas went to London. And they got to meet the queen. And when they met the queen, Michelle Obama, the first lady, and the queen were standing next to each other. And what happened was Michelle Obama put her arm around the queen's waist. And that was a big no-no. You never touch 
the queen. There was this no-touch protocol, and Michelle Obama did not know this. In her memoir in 2018, she said this, I couldn't have known it in the moment, but I was committing what would be deemed an epic faux pas. Now, there's also personal stories I could share about thinking many numerous stories about my parents being immigrants and foreigners to the U.S. And I remember as a kid so many times when my mom would be on the phone with customer service. And it was always such a cringy, horrible experience where as a kid, I did not know better. So I was just embarrassed and angry. I mean, she would, there would always be something wrong. And so she would call customer service. And because of the lack of vocabulary that she had, she would say things like, you're the baddest person. Why are you so lazy? Why do you not understand me? Right? And I would just be like, oh my gosh, you're coming off sounding so bad. But it's the misunderstanding of being in a foreign country for various reasons of why we feel misunderstood. Now, as we think about foreign or being a foreigner in another country, I think the scriptures talk a lot about that aspect as Christians living in this world. Isn't that true? Jesus said in his prayer as he intercedes for us in John 17, what does he say? He says that we would not be of the world, but that we would be in the world. Peter, the apostle Peter, as we've looked at him in the book of Acts, what does he say in his letter? He says we are aliens and strangers of this world. We even look at someone like Paul in Philippians. He says, we are citizens of heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And you could even go back to the Old Testament. Think about uh, when the Israelites were exiled to Babylon. The Babylonian call for Israel was what? It was build houses and live there. Plant gardens and eat of the garden. Seek the welfare of this city. And over and over again, as we look at Scripture, it seems to say that we are called to love and live. And while we do that, it can lead to misunderstandings. We are aliens and strangers. We are, in essence, foreigners in this land. And yet we're called to live and love and bring the gospel to bear in this world, wherever God has called you. Now, in this passage that we just read when Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra on the end of their first missionary journey what we see is that this city is a place where there were hardly any Jewish people there was actually no synagogue in this city so you talk about a place that is absolutely pagan where there's no Jewish culture or synagogue culture this was that place and what do Paul and Barnabas do as they come into a place like this? Even with misunderstandings, even with attempted murder that we just read about, but also of the going forward of the gospel, we see them live out their faith as foreigners in this land. And my question for us this morning as we briefly look at this passage is, what does it look like for us as Christians living in St. Louis where, yes, there is religious freedom, of course, but where we feel more and more like a foreigner, where we feel more and more like aliens and strangers, how do we bring the gospel to bear with the people that God has brought us to and beside and around? And I think this 
this account in Lystra helps us to be able to give us give us some good ideas of how to live out that life as foreigners, as Christians in this city. So let's look at three things that we see here briefly. First, we see compassion in verses 8 through 10. Compassion. As Paul and Barnabas enter this city, what is the first thing they notice? They see a crippled man who had been crippled his entire life since birth, who is unable to walk. And as he's preaching, this man has faith. Now we're not sure what kind of faith, faith to be healed or faith in the gospel, in Jesus, but he has faith and he is healed and he gets up and rejoices. Now when we look at that, what we have to be able to see is that whenever we think about the gospel in our city, it is always word and deed, right? But all too often we think about what we have to say, what we have to do. But what we also have to recognize is that we need to have compassion on those who are marginalized, those who are sick, those who are weak, those who are in a different place than us socioeconomically. Do our eyes give attention? Do our ears listen to those who are broken, destitute, who need the mercy and grace of our Savior? I know it seems so obvious when we talk about bringing or having compassion on others around us. And yet we know that when we talk to neighbors or friends or coworkers, Christianity is the last or compassion is the last thing we think about or they think about when we think about the Christian faith. There was a recent study. And the statistics were very interesting when it talked about their perception of the church from those that were Christians and those that were non-Christians. 80% of practicing Christians have a positive view of the church. Only 21% of non-Christians think of the church in a positive way. When it comes to Christian pastors, 85% of Christians trust Christian pastors in their community. But less than half of the non-Christians feel the same way. That's a humbling thing. And this study was done before 2020 when COVID came. I'm sure if you were to ask the same questions, it would probably be even a wider gap of those who were Christians and not. <coughs> so what does this mean for us? Well, I'm sure this doesn't tell the whole story. And while Christians might have a positive view of the truth, the truth is that the church has been harsh. The church has been judgmental and exclusionary and often abusive. And these aren't the qualities people should expect from Christians, but often or too often that is the case. And when Paul and Barnabas come in, they exude compassion. We've looked at the book of Acts so far, not only compassion, generosity, mercy, grace. These were the qualities that exemplified Christians. And so it does for us. We've talked about our youth students who just came back from their trip, and we'll hear from them in a few weeks. So get ready, right? Students who went on the trip, be ready to share and, and share about what God did. But even last night when we gathered them all together at the Chung's, it was just fascinating hearing about what they did. Guess what they did? They dug dirt. <laughs> they moved dirt. They created garden beds. They painted. 
These are the mundane things they did. But what does that show? It shows that they care for a city desperately longing for hope and change and transformation and peace. And even these mundane acts of compassion and care for a city, these begin to shape how people view us. It begins with compassion. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus wept for Jerusalem. Jesus wept for Lazarus when he died. Jesus came not to just the rich or just to the Jewish leaders or the religious leaders. He went to the poor. He went to the ostracized. He went to the people that were in the alleys and in the gutters. And he invited himself over and broke bread with them. He fellowshiped with them. He loved them. He healed them. He touched them. And this is what we're called to as well, to show compassion as foreigners, as aliens and strangers, compassion, mercy, generosity, these things that we've been looking at in this story. But secondly, not only compassion, what we see here is that Paul and Barnabas listen. They listen and share. Now, I just heard of a recent story of a Brazilian grandmother and she prayed to St. Anthony every single day for as long as she could remember. And as she prayed to St. Anthony, she had a little figurine that she would pray to. Now, when a relative came over and she took a closer look at this figurine, it was not a figurine of St. Anthony. It was a figurine of Elrond from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> I would assume the pointy ears would have given it away, but maybe her eyes had gone bad. But she was worshiping Elrond from Lord of the Rings and not St. Anthony. Mistaken worship. And that's exactly what we see here happen to Paul and Barnabas. After they heal this crippled man in Lystra, what happens? The people of Lystra come and flock and they think this is Zeus and Hermes. They think Barnabas is Zeus because Barnabas is just standing there and Paul is Hermes because He's the one that just keeps sharing the gospel and talking. And the reason they think this is because there was this legend, and you can actually find it today in Lystra, that Zeus and Hermes actually had come to Lystra before. And they did not recognize these gods. And because they did not recognize these gods and shut them out, Zeus and Hermes kill all, killed all the city of Lystra. And they didn't want to make the same mistake. And because of what they witnessed, their compassion and this amazing miracle, they bring all their goods and they want to bring worship. But if you read verse 14, what does Paul and Barnabas do? What is, what's the account? But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, the word there is also can be translated listened to it. In other words, what we see here with Paul and Barnabas is that they have heard, listened with humility, what the culture was in Lystra. Their history, their culture, the things that were important, their, the, the things that were significant to them, the things that met, brought meaning and identity, they began to listen. And they began to know more about what this city cared about. 
for us? What are the Zeus's? What are the Hermes of St. Louis in 2023? What are the things that bring significance and meaning and identity and purpose and joy to the people that you live in relationship with? Your coworkers, your neighbors, what do they care about? Are we listening? Are we listening to the things that bring meaning to them? And only then, when we listen and learn and have humility to do so, then and only then can we begin to share the gospel of Jesus and begin to make those connections and bridges so that the gospel is beautiful. So the gospel is actually clear and it makes sense to the things that are going on in their life. And that's what Paul does. To a Jewish community, you know what he would do? He would talk about the history of the Jewish people. He would talk about God's covenant in the Old Testament. He would bring Old Testament scripture to bear for the Jewish people. But he doesn't do any of it here in verses 15 through 18. Do you know what he does? He listens and knows about Zeus and Hermes. And instead of talking about the Old Testament, he takes it way back to creation. And what does he say in verse 15? Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men and like nature with you. And we bring you good news that you should turn from the, those vain things to a living God. A living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. And he jumped down to 27. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seas and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He was making connections from Zeus, these gods, to the God who is creator of the universe, who brought them rain brought rain to their gardens that fed them, that gave them life and joy and meaning. And many believe. Many believed. But it takes us to listen and share. Jesus did this all the time, didn't he? Do you know, Jesus, we went through that one sermon series about the asking questions. And Jesus asked over 300 questions in the gospel accounts. He listened. He wanted to know the aches and pains of the people that he was in relationship with. With Simon and Andrew. Do you know what he did when he first called them to be his disciples? He didn't say, Simon and Andrew, come and follow me. He didn't tell, him, tell them all about himself. Do you know what he did? In John's account, he asks a question. He says, what are you seeking? He's listening. He's learning. In other words, what do you desire? Simon, Andrew, what do you desire? Jesus did this. He listened. He didn't just speak and tell. And he could have done that. He could have just taught all day long. But we enter into homes. He would listen to their hearts, to the things that mattered. And of course, then he would share about he, how he was the bread of life. How he had the, the eternal water that would never make you thirsty. But it's as we listen and share, as aliens and strangers, as foreigners in this land, we're able to bring the gospel to bear. But thirdly, as we 
Look at this last thing of what Paul and Barnabas did. They endured. And we need to endure as foreigners. Here in this passage, after they've brought the gospel to bear and listened and shared, what happens? Well, in verses 19 through 23, we see that all the people that they were in in their first missionary journey in the previous cities, in places like Antioch and Iconium, these Jewish people now come to Lystra and they're angry. They drove Paul and Barnabas out and their companions. And so they find them and they gather all the other Lystrans, if you want to call them Lystrans, right? I don't know if I made up a word, but they gather them and, and basically get them on their side, get them angry and agitated, and basically begin to stone Paul, almost thinking that they've killed him to death. And so they drag his body outside of the city, thinking that he's dead. But what does Paul do? He's not dead. And he gets back up. He gets Barnabas and all the other companions. And they go to Derby to continue to preach the gospel. <laughs> now, when we share the gospel, I'm, I'm pretty sure none of us will be stoned to death. None of us are even, even close to being remotely scared of our, for our lives. But there's the feelings and the experiences of rejection. When, when I talk about listening and sharing, those bringing up anxiety and, and a sense of like, I don't know how to do that. Some of us just have a lack of courage. But what we see here is that they endure through the hardships, through the difficulties and challenges that they faced as foreigners in a pagan city. And for some of us, I think we sometimes shut down when we might share the gospel and they don't believe. You think, well, I, it's because I messed up. And we replay in our minds the things that I could have said or I didn't say or, or, or whatever. I shouldn't even shared the gospel because, with them because they weren't ready. Or some of us shut down because we realize I'm not good enough. And I'll just leave it to those that are gifted with evangelism. But neither is right. As one pastor said, he said, it's not a referendum on you when they reject the gospel. It's a refinement of you. In other words, continue to love them. Pursue them. Show mercy and grace. Live side by side with them. Learn from them. Learn the whys before just sharing with them the what's. We are called to share the gospel of Jesus. And that means that sometimes we have to endure what seems like failure. I had a co-worker who was an atheist. Sorry, not a co-worker here. <laughs> when I was working in Chicago, I was working in Chicago as a consultant, one of my, and don't worry, our, our staff is good. <laughs> John's going like, what in the world? Back there. I had a coworker when I was a consultant in Chicago. He was an atheist. And one of the things, whenever Christianity came up and evangelism, he said, you guys are the most obnoxious people in the world. He said, you're so annoying. You're so judgmental. There's no place for proselytizing. It's offensive. But, he would go on to say, but it's also so offensive when you guys don't share the gospel with me. Because isn't, don't you guys believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life? 
right? Fascinating to kind of put that at, at, with odds with one another. They're offended, but my coworker was offended also that we would not share the gospel if we truly believed this was the way, that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life. This is what we're called to, to endure, to stay steadfast, to be strengthened. And even when we fail to do that, we do know that we have Christ who has endured perfectly. Hebrews reminds us of that. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Why? For us. That in times where we experience hardship and failure and we feel disappointed and feel like, We've just disappointed God. We have a God who understands and has endured for us. As I thought about just this aspect of being foreigners in our own city as Christians, trying to live out our call faithfully. I thought about a, a story that my wife shared. My wife used to be the assistant director of admissions at the law school, and so she was required to be at the graduation of, of the law students that they would admit. And there was this international law student who gave a speech at the commencement. And this, this law student who was graduating spoke about how he was overwhelmed when he first came to the U.S. when he entered a Subway sandwich shop. He said there were so many options. <laughs> Bread, the meats, the veggies, the spices, all the different condiments, and he could not order a sandwich at Subway. This foreigner could not do it because he was overwhelmed ordering at a Subway shop. It was funny in the moment because when he shared this story, the irony was that he was now graduating as a law, uh, as a graduating from law student and taking with him his JD. And he couldn't even order a Subway sandwich when he first came to the U.S. I think this is our story as well, isn't it? We can sometimes feel like we're fumbling our way through the world as foreigners, aliens and strangers. But remember, the gospel isn't a Subway sandwich. This is such a beautiful, more powerful, transformative good news that offers us hope, forgiveness, and life forever. And we might feel overwhelmed with all of the options, theology and apologetics and what we're supposed to say to listen and to learn and so forth. But remember, God is at work in our lives. God is at work in the church and he's doing it. That's what we've been seeing. This is the story of the church. Now the church has continued to grow despite the challenges and the forces that have tried to destroy the church. She will not be overcome. She will reign because God is at work in the church through people like us. So let's ask then that God would use us to love and to show compassion, to have the humility to listen and to share and to be able to endure so even though we might not have a JD at the end of it all, we might be able to know and hear the words from our Father, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the example that you have given to us, that you showed compassion. 
you listened and you cared for us and you endured the cross so that, Lord, we might be able to be people who have joy and hope and contentment. So, Lord, I pray that as we have experienced that good news of the gospel that has transformed us, Lord, I pray that we would do the same for the people that you have brought into our lives. Be it family, friends, coworkers, our neighbors, students at our schools, friends. Lord, I pray that you would use us to that end. Help us to endure, to stay faithful, and to be able to know, Lord, that you are at work. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.